You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour. And for the final show of the year on our literature show, <laughs> we're covering a movie. Look, it may be heresy, but good grief, does it feel good. Yeah, we were talking about Knives Out by oh. director Ryan Johnson on the show. It was, that was a phenomenal movie. I what? just want to oh say out the gate. God. <laughs> okay, listen, if you've been listening to the other reviews, Celluloid Dreams and Film Fight Club here on 2SER, you'll yeah. know that this movie has been hit and rave reviews. Everyone seems to love this film, justifiably so. But Herds, I am just so Look. damned excited <laughs> that the best movie of the year is a murder mystery. You know what? I ain't seen that many movies this year, but I'll I'll believe you. It was oh. definitely the best movie that I've watched this year. My goodness. Hands yeah. down my I mean, favorite. Look, we've we've heard it from Fight Club, we've heard from everybody else that like this is the best movie ever. But from the murder mystery people, the murder mystery nerds like us, Flex and Herds, I just want to say, it was it was a really good mystery. It was fantastic. Yeah. I think it's particularly good because, like, not not to sit here and be on my high horse and say, like, oh, well, as a mystery fan, I have a no, deeper that's understanding. Our duty. No, that's our duty. It is our Don't duty. Don't be ashamed of it. It is our it. duty. But, but, I yeah. do think that it is admirable that this film holds up both for the average reader and for yep. us who know the 30-plus rules of detective mm-hmm. fiction, have, <laughs> you know, read them back and forth, the, try and solve them every week. Right, we have ended up with about 50 or 60 rules by this point. But yeah, yeah. no, I mean, we, we saw this with a with a group of friends who were not as into murder mystery, and they they loved it, we loved it for different reasons. We had a nice chat about it afterwards. And I'll let you know, uh, as I was watching it, I was just, I was scanning for those rules. So it's like Knox and Van Dyne Of course, rules, of course Trying to see, which I know is more your thing, but I was there too. I was like, we got to be focused today. I was feeling like... Like incredibly tired on the day that we saw this, but I had my eyes peeled. I had no popcorn or drinks or anything to distract me. I was like focused in like a laser trying to figure out <laughs> what rules have been broken. Have any been broken? Is this a Noxian? Is this a Van Dyne Fair case? Uh, but we'll, we'll talk more about yes. that in the spoiler section of yes. this uh, of this episode. So today. the first ten minutes of this episode today, no mm-hmm. spoilers. We're yep. just talking about the overall film, spoiler free. Then section two and three, the last twenty minutes of the show, we're going to be speaking with production designer David Crank, oh. and we're going to be talking about how this mystery fits together, and that will be full spoilers. So oh. make sure you're aware if you're coming into this episode. We'll remind you a couple of times as <laughs> we aware. go. Be aware. Be safe. Oh my goodness, though. Mm-hmm. Let's get into this. Ryan Johnson, the mm-hmm. director of this film. So, Ryan Johnson has made this beautiful modern murder mystery set in Massachusetts, my home away from home. Uh-huh. And, oh, what a wonderful cast he has assembled in a classic country house murder mystery mm-hmm. in the United States, bringing up modern political comparisons, really fleshing out characters oh in a goodness. way that... It really had no right to do in a film this short. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really, really excellently done. Now, you might know Ryan Johnson as the director of the incredibly controversial The Last Jedi. Which we have no opinion on. I have (laughs) defended that film tooth and claw over the fact that as as much as you might dislike how it fits into the rest of the franchise, Ryan Johnson was clearly an extraordinarily competent director in that Mm. film. And everything that he did in that film shines again in this. And oh my for goodness, sure, for sure, the visual imagery is spectacular. That knife wheel, the knife wheel is the it is the centerpiece of the film. Yes, and I, no spoilers, but the symbolism that they use for that knife wheel, the way that the story unfolds, the way that they use it without ever really drawing attention to the knife wheel, mind you, yeah. is just it's pure, it's perfect. Oh, I love it. It it fits together so nicely. There's so many throwbacks to old detective fiction movies. Mm-hmm. The cast and crew had clearly 
really done their homework and a lot of them you know have said on multiple occasions that they're big fans of the genre yeah particularly uh david crank and ryan johnson yeah there's heaps of tiny details that really really lend themselves and yeah. every single piece of the set is pointing at one thing or another i just oh yeah you can tell while you're watching this movie that the the cast or and the director like they they really have this passion for murder mystery mm. they've read a lot of them obviously the setup being in a, a country house you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's not quite a locked room mystery, but it's very close. Um, and I think the way that it like it subverts tropes, but also plays a lot of them straight, is really fantastic. Um, and, and in particular, I want to give a shout out to to Daniel Craig with his lovely Kentucky drawl. That apparently <laughs> the, the character was was written a little bit southern, but he brought the, he brought it to life with this beautiful drawl um, that he came up with himself with the help of a, with some linguistic coaching. Um, I I love. Whenever he's on screen and talking about the murder, mm. you can tell that he's just having fun. Um, there's even one scene it's kind of later on in the movie where he starts monologuing about, you know, how the crime's going and whether he thinks he can solve it or not. And he, he apologizes to the other characters. Yeah. In the scene. He's like, I'm sorry, am I monologuing? Like, I just do this to like help myself yeah, think about it's fantastic. the case. It's so good. The film is extraordinarily self-aware. Mm. The victim of the crime is a murder mystery writer. And yep. just the way that it plays out always is bouncing off that. You know, the the accent that Craig does, it's I think it's meant to be a Tennessean accent. I mm. believe it's based off Shelby Foote, who is a, uh, I think, a Civil War historian. I believe you. And the, the Tennessee accent that he does is so entirely over the top in the absolute best way. He's completely taking the piss while being <laughs> entirely sincere about it. Yes, and the yeah. blend he strikes, I think, is absolutely perfect. Like... The character, the character is taking itself seriously, mm -hmm. but he's being goofy and having fun with it, yes, as you say. Yes. I mean, that's the vibe of the whole movie, right? Yeah. Like that is a very good summation of the entire story. It walks this line between, on the one hand, being a very believable story, but on the other hand, being completely absurd, yeah. but also rolling with that, like right up until mm. the end of the movie. And there's like, I would just throwing praise at this movie but it deserves it it mm. does so many things right i'm i'm having trouble to give any like complaints well i have one complaint but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that all later. right all right <laughs> yeah i did want to say going back to harlan thromby our murder victim he's a detective fiction author allegedly the most successful one of all time shout out to ss van dyne mm. um <laughs> allegedly allegedly and basically the entire plot plays out in a way that even the characters comment on it sounds like it's one of his plots. Mm. It's very far-fetched. It twists and turns. Nobody knows how it's going to go. It's really well laid out, and the film uses some interesting thriller tropes to kind of drag you along with the film yeah, a bit sure. more. The way that the narrative weaves itself, as you as you mentioned, really kind of undermines certain genre tropes in a way that I mm -hmm. thought was really intelligent and absolutely kept me hooked. Um, we're, we follow our, our protagonist, Marta, uh, who's kind of the, the nurse who looked after mm. uh, Mr. Harlan Thromby before unfortunate murder case yeah. uh, occurs um and yeah definitely following her perspective and kind of seeing like how she copes with the murder because we, we don't follow the detective we mm. follow the watson which is very typical of um of some authors uh, in particular van van dyne in a sense uh but we we follow from the perspective of the watson so it's just given this very like relatable position to mm. kind of view the whole crime as, as a whole from um, I definitely think that if we'd been following it from uh, Benoit Blanc, Daniel Craig's detective yeah. character, if we'd been following from his perspective, the most audience members would have trouble following. They might feel very like detached mm. from the experience. But giving us this very down-to-earth, 
you know, this is Ma's perspective. She's got her own personal troubles to deal with as she's trying to like navigate this murder case. Mm. It just gives this really realistic, it gives life to the to the whole story, really. Yeah. The the premise of this film is very similar to Agatha Christie's Crooked House. Mm. And not to spoil that film in any way, because it Don't definitely it. it's not the same plot. But if you kind of compare the two on paper, it's like, oh, I can see, I can see the references here. And that book follows its detective character, and I found that it that book didn't work as well for me for that reason exactly. You're like, I really do not care what is going on here. Like, sure, it might be a well put together mystery, although I would maybe argue not. But <laughs> it it like it's just so much more personable having that Watson character there, and you know. Yeah. That's why the Watson character exists. They're the heart, right? And this film does an excellent job of using the Watson in a way that you won't see as often. And we'll talk about that coming up in the spoilers section, of course. Of course. I will say, the one thing that I was a little bit disappointed by in this movie was Mm. the soundtrack. The soundtrack is exquisitely well put together, Mm. but it's only really a couple of moments that it shines. The intro is fantastic. We have the dogs running towards the camera in slow motion, really nicely sets the tone. Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite uses of music in murder mystery films and murder mystery media in broader senses is when the music is playing to a subtext of the scene that is not immediately as obvious. Sure, clue the reader in. Yeah. 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 Uh, Anyway, we are just about to sit down and chat with David Crank, the production designer for Knives Out himself. We're going to be talking about that fantastic knife wheel, the big centerpiece visually of the movie. I'm super excited and super honored to have David Crank himself on the show. Herds, we're talking Knives Out. And we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. We are talking Knives Out. The spoilers are in. And on the line, we have production designer David Crank. As well as Knives Out, he's been the production and art designer for films like Inherent Vice, The Double, Water for Elephants, The Master, and more. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, David, this film has stunning sets, laden with gorgeous woodwork and art, as well as macabre and disturbing set pieces in that classic gothic style of early murder mystery. How did you go about filling this space with the quirks of Harlan Thromby while still making the settings distinct? Well, we found um, a great house that already had a huge amount of kind of history to it and had a lot of things that we built off of. So, you know, you can thank the family for having saved all the great woodwork that was in the house. And then the set uh, decorator, David Schlesinger, um, really worked very hard coming up with a lot of those very strange items that were there. Some of those we were based on things we'd seen in Sleuth that that Ryan really liked and talked to us about mm. at the beginning of the project. And then um, we kind of took him from there, and, and he certainly created a lot of new things that were kind of based on pieces we found. And uh, it was an interesting project process because it really was kind of rather organic. It wasn't really planned out immensely. There were a lot of plot points that we had to cover mm. that Ryan had written in. So a lot of the things have to do with you know, specific things that had to happen or you didn't get the story. But then from that, a lot of things grew out of it. And um, it really was kind of a very fun, interesting process where one thing would happen from another, from another, from another. So it's hard to say exactly where we got them from, but it was, uh, it kind of grew from yeah. what Ryan had written on the page. So you have this very busy set with lots of the intricate artworks and pieces that we've mentioned. When you when you have a set that, I, I hate to use the word cluttered, but it's really filled with stuff. You know, mm-hmm. how do you distinguish yeah. between what's characterization on set and what's a clue in a film that is so built around weaving that puzzle? 
I think really that they were all kind of interconnected. I don't, I mean, I think things that, um, there were specific things that were clue that we had to, you know, and you, you figure out how to set those out and make them. But really even the things that were not a specific clue grew out of those things from a clue. So mm. things would point the right direction, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So um, it's more of like so a collaboration, really, I guess, with the cost and camera. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it, um, you know, really, it was it was all about building that other character of the house, mm. and you know, and, and what it was and what it wasn't, and what its surprises were, and, and you know, its final bit. But the uh, there, there really wasn't a particular layer of just clues, and then our decoration. It was all kind of combined and together, yeah. and it was all kind of thought out. Is that way every, everything had to keep adding to this character? And he described the, the house to me the first time we talked as it was an extension of Harlan's mind. And yeah. he had shown me a little piece of a Isaac Asimov um, television show from the seventies, I think where he had an introduction in a, in a very strange cluttered um, kind of study. Yeah. That, and so that, that was always Ryan's idea. And, you know, that was a combination of the world of his books and the world of his mind and what he had created. So really all of the decoration kind of had to go through the filter of, of how do we keep building this character, which was the house. Yeah. So obviously with everything contributing to the overall set and the overall character, what, what things in that set mm-hmm. do you think people might not necessarily catch that really helped build that layer of Harlan Thromby's mind and the family? I mean, I think we did things like the, the art director, Jeremy Woodward, was uh, kind of took it upon a project for himself with uh, the, the graphic designer to come up mm. like with his entire canon of work from the beginning all the way to the end. And that is that is pieced throughout. And he came up decade by decade, what the titles were and what the look of the book covers were to try to, you know, to build that end of things. Um, yeah, that was fun. I mean, there were a lot of things. And I know that David did this, uh, Schlesinger did this one thing where we had, um, he had bought this dollhouse. Mm. Um, and he, he said, I don't really know what to do with it, but the price was so good and the scale was good. Yeah. So we were in talking about it. It was like, oh, let's just make it into a bar because it's kind of like the yeah. weirdest thing you can make a child's toy. Yeah, we particularly love that dollhouse because it very much felt reminiscent of the uh, the old models of the crime scene that detectives like Philo Vance used to whip yeah. up in you know the early talky murder mysteries. It was, a, it was a fun thing. It was, but see, that kind of thing, he just found it. And he didn't know what to do with it. Mm. But he said the price was too good and it looked too great. And then from that grew all of these other things yeah. once he had. It's always fantastic when those things come together. So you've, you've obviously built some gorgeous sets across the years, both in, in stage and also across films like the, uh, the River Queen that was made for the film Lincoln. What interesting challenges did having to mm-hmm. work in a historic site like the mansions that you used in this film? present to you? Um, well, there, there are always certain things where, you know, it, it is a home and it's, it's historical and you, you have to kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, pay homage to it and also be careful so mm. you don't mess it up. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, if you pick correctly, which I think we did with that house, you're given a, a plate that's already got so much on it. Yeah. So then you start reacting to those things. And it's, um, what was interesting is we did, the, the first floor of the house and the exterior were an actual house. And then we built the second floor hallway and then we built the third floor. Mm. And then the library was in another place as you got further and further up and to try to get a p- good progression as you went through the house, you know, into his kind of world and domain. You know, he had his public persona down the first floor and his, his, his world up on the third floor. But, um, you know, really it's just, it's, it all kind of stems out of what that house was. 
Yeah. Which we're really lucky. That people have, have, have updated, but they've never, it's still very much what, um, you know, the original builders had in there. So that's why it was so great. It really had so much character to it. it the first time we entered, you know, so we were quite lucky that way. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with how the different parts of the set tied together, particularly that upstairs part having that, you know, much more cluttered, colorful, uh, you know, very creative mm-hmm. looking space relative to that almost just blatantly stereotypical downstairs with the big portrait overlooking where the, right. the interrogation scene happened. It, you know, felt straight out of any yeah. conventional murder mystery you could p- pick off a shelf, and I love that. Yeah, no, it's fun, you know, and I think you have to kind of decide to, for lack of a better term, drink the Kool-Aid when you, when you choose something yeah. like that and make it all kind of part and parcel. But I think, you know, that's also the really fun part. It's, it's, it's great to start with something that you build on sometimes more fun than just starting from a blank slate. Mm. Cause it comes up with things that you wouldn't have thought on your own. Obviously the big visual centerpiece of the film is that enormous knife wheel in Harlan's library whose idea was that and how did you go about making it because it's ludicrous it's large it stands out and it's a it's a fantastic piece of visual imagery particularly in those interrogation scenes what was the story behind that we well, you know, i th- i think and i tried to find this the other day and i, I wasn't successful but <laughs> i think in the first script it just said it was a knife display it didn't mm. really say anything about it and um i you know, I'm I'm not sure. I can't really quite speak for Ryan as to how much he knew exactly how he wanted to use it. Um, but we we never really sat down and I like, did a drawing of it. We just kind of started making things, and there were like four versions before we got to that one. And I think he knew quite quickly what he didn't want. Mm. <laughs> that was always obvious. So like the first couple was like, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't do this. But it was a very organic process. And he finally at one point referred to it as um, like a swarm of Mm. knives and that's when it started to kind of take a shape i think the first ones we did were more three-dimensional and knives were coming out from it and i think it was um maybe more rectangular i can't even remember now but um with we so when he said that it kind of worked in a young lady rebecca green who was on the um set that crew she found the base that it was on which was an old um grill off of an industrial fan Mm. and when we got that then they started laying it out it all kind of came together quite quickly. And I'm not even sure initially we had it hanging in the same place, but that's when it, I think, and again, Ryan may have known from day one exactly how he was going to use it. I'm not sure. Mm. It seemed like it started building exactly once we got the position of it right in that room, how he would use it with the chair and everything. Yeah. Around it. But, so it was a very organic thing. And they've asked me for like concept sketches. I'm like, oh, there wasn't those concept sketch. We just started yeah. it. And, until we got it right. No, it's, it's so. absolutely fantastic, and I was so impressed. You know, we'd seen snippets of it in the trailer, but seeing the way it was used, positioning everyone's heads at different yeah. angles, and oh, it was it was such a brilliant exactly. piece of that production, and I'm such a huge fan. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us on the line today. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say what? before we go, earlier this year we covered a film, The Kennel Murder Case, starring S.S. Van Dyne, which is said by film historian William K. Everson to be the greatest adaptation of a golden age mystery novel of all time. And personally, I think your efforts and the team's efforts on this film have absolutely trumped that. So congratulations on such a wonderful and deservedly successful film. I appreciate that. Thank you. Alrighty. This is Death of the Reader. You're listening to our breakdown of Knives Out. We'll be back in just a second. 
You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. We are talking Knives Out, the brand new murder mystery film by Ryan Johnson. It is a fantastic film. You've just heard us talking with David Crank, the production designer on the film. And I, Herds, am Mm. staggeringly blown away by this film. I know. As we've mentioned... We are going full spoilers right here, so watch your butts if you've managed to make it this far through without noticing that. Yeah, watch out. We're going to spoil the entire movie. So if you don't want to be spoiled, get get on out of here. Or maybe just turn us down real low. <laughs> listen in and hear the funny bits, but not just the important Just rewind and listen to the yeah. intro on be, repeat be for kind, 30 minutes. Be kind and rewind, guys. That's that's what I learned from the 90s. That's, that's good. I'm glad <laughs> you actually learned that. I did. Be kind and rewind. It's a good phrase. Anyway, we're talking about Knives Out. Um, yeah, I, I love this solution. I will let you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, who the killer was Mm. the entire way through. I also want to say, Meg, what are you doing, girl? What are you doing this entire film? (laughs) You could have been more guilty. I I thought she was going to be the twist villain. That was, that was like my impression of her, but, um, we had to quickly push her aside as more and more clues kind of ramp up uh, as the story goes forward. Um, although I will tell you my, my crack theory was that everything was going to be fine at the end, but sadly there is no happy ending and it was, uh, it was, it was ransom. It was was ransom Drysdale. It was Chris Evans. I will say that was the most annoying thing to me is when I was looking at the cast list, I was like, if it's Chris, Chris Evans, because he's the biggest actor on the list, I'm going to be pretty upset. Mr. Captain America, like, I don't want to play the good guy anymore. I want to play a vicious killer. Like, that's totally what not to say that the rest of the cast was small actors because they definitely were, sure. but I feel like Chris Evans stood out yeah. heftily, especially considering he's yeah. consistently been on the highest paid actors list yeah. for the past few years. I will say it was uh, fascinating. As I said, we, we saw this with uh, a couple of people who are not as experienced in murder mystery, mm-hmm. but asking them, you know, who they thought was the killer. One of them said Walt, which I found fascinating because you and I having like, you know, read a lot of murder mystery and watched I don't even mystery. think that. Mm-hmm. I think the problem- Enough. I think the problem with the friend who said that it was Walt was that he is a writer, but not of things sure. that are anyway in. Look, I wasn't going to gonna name and shame. The, the point I'm making here is that if you have read murder mystery novels, you know that if a character is too suspicious in the first 20 minutes of, of the story, then they are not the killer. Right, like the movie goes out of the way to be like, oh, Mr. Daniel Craig would like to speak with you four characters. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, this is why I could have been the killer. And you're like, well, you're not the killer then because you're yeah. way too obvious. No, I um, think I think this yeah. film basically, it did a really good job in the opening, the opening act, the first act absolutely. of putting together all of this evidence as to why it could be absolutely anyone in the family. And it was sure. absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then as we got to the second act, it quickly became extraordinarily obvious that it couldn't be most of them. Yeah. Because yeah. we started following Marta. And when we were following Marta, it basically showed exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love I lo- that. I love that aspect. The, like when, you know, Benoit Blanc is like, sit down, tell me everything. Though she doesn't sit down. Yeah. She doesn't sit in the knife chair, which is important because yes. symbolism. But yeah, she's like, you know, just tell me what happened. And then we see exactly what happens. And he, she tells him like none of it. Yeah. That was my favorite moment in the entire movie. I think when it zoomed out, it's like, yeah, I totally killed him, but I'm not going to tell him that. Yeah. In the duration that. of a single coin toss, which was yes. like a beautiful visual oh, metaphor. So good. And following Marta's journey, particularly through that social subtext of illegal immigration, I think is really excellent because it puts you 
in in the thriller mindset, which I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier in the show, which Ryan Johnson is pretty good at yep. through films like Looper. I thought that that was an excellent execution. And then the only reason that you start to suspect that it's more complicated than it is when it gets down to why it's Ransom is because his mm-hmm. name keeps coming up because he helps yeah. Marta out along the way. Yeah, yeah. And the dogs. Oh my goodness. Van Dyne would be so unhappy. Spinning <laughs> in his grave. They have to be doing this intentionally. Like, I swear, Ryan Johnson sat down and was like, all right, Van Dyne, let's so you don't like murder mysteries? Well, guess what? The dogs are going to mark at the murder cult, but oh. it's going to happen. It's I, amazing. I genuinely do not think the the, <laughs> the plan went that deep. I, I genuinely I believe just... that they thought to themselves, how can we point out that this man is guilty? And uh, they picked the dogs. It's fantastic. It's such a silly detail. But again, like completely like accurate, you know, <sighs> like that dogs bark at people and then if you know that the dogs barked last night then that person they usually bark at was probably here it's just it's a shame to me because so many of the clues in this murder mystery when we talk about fran having a sister when we talk about fran pointing out the method of murder Mm -hmm. in the opening 10 minutes of the film or so yeah it's so well put together yeah but we had to use one of the tropiest ways of pointing out a culprit we possibly could I think um, that clue, like, I mean, you probably could have done without it, honestly. Yeah, if you absolutely. Just say, that's, that's, I think that's the only kind of shame. And again, I feel like this is the puke thing again, where it's like, well, we got to signal to people who are not familiar yeah, with murder exactly. mysteries. We got to give them a more solid clue because otherwise they're going to be lost, which is fine, mind you. Like, I'm totally okay with that. With like, let's give everybody the information they need, regardless of skill level. That's mm-hmm. cool. Especially for like, you know, a, a sort of more mainstream movie like Knives Out. I think that's really important. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't mind it too much because there, there is a theory somewhere in there that I was playing with that Ransom might've been a co-conspirator with, uh, with Harlan. It's a whole other thing, but let's just say I had a theory. Yeah. I had a theory that was that he had switched the po- the the medications himself that Harlem mm. had, and this is like a whole yeah. setup. I mean, we um, were we were we were talking after we watched the film the first time because we've seen it twice. Yeah, yeah, and I think both of us agreed that the first time we watched it, we picked on Ransom pretty easily and picked yeah. on the fact that they was been just, double switched. Yeah, it was just his role in the film. I was yeah. like, is he the killer or is he helping Harlan to like set up this entire yeah. situation? That's what I was trying to figure out by but the end of the movie. I yeah. think ultimately. Like we both caught onto that pretty quickly and then spent most of the third act being like, it's got to be more clever than this, right? It's uh, got to yeah, be more clever yeah. than this. Like, but it twist? wasn't. No. And uh, as much as that bothers me to some extent, because I'm sitting there watching it going like, come on, it can't just be that, can it? At the same time, I feel like it would have been to the movie's detriment if it was more complicated. I agree. I agree. Like, I think that the way that it wraps itself up, um, like even the the kind of final monologue that Daniel Craig goes through, and again, yeah. shout to Daniel Craig, he pulls it off spectacularly. Yes, his comments where he says, you know, there's a donut hole, but it wasn't really a hole; it was another donut yeah. inside that hole. Brilliant! That entire sequence is brilliant. It's so entertaining. To As watch, he sits down right? in the middle of the donut yes. with his head in the middle, yes. fantastic. His head in the fantastic. middle of the knives, which we know are important because yes. every time someone sits down in front of those knives, they tell us what's like. They, they give us inclinations of what's uh-huh. going. We get clues from them. The truth. Can I can I anyway, point out great. my favorite detail in Go this for entire it. movie? Go, throw it at me. So. I noticed I noticed that every time they're sitting with someone in front of that knife wheel, mm. their head is always next to, <laughs> but not touching the prop knife that is the punchline of the movie. Right. Except for Marta. And uh, she's framed with the knife in her head. Oh, it's so good. It's so 
good. It's such a good detail. Oh, I love it. I, I, it blew my mind watching it the second time. I was like, oh my God, it's not touching the heads. It's not touching the heads. And then Marta showed up. And I was like, <laughs> yes, he's done it. He's pulled it off. Oh, I love it. It's so fantastic. Yeah. That knife, as we spoke with David Crank earlier, that knife wheel is just mind-blowingly gorgeous and yeah. so well used in a way that something that ridiculous has no right to be. Yeah. Who walks into, a, into an old mansion and goes, you know what, this would need a wheel of goddamn knives. Mr. Thromby does, apparently. Ugh. Yeah, I know. The, the one other thing that I do have to say about this movie, because mm. it's my job on this show, Herds, Uh-oh. is except for 20E, it yeah. followed every single one of Knox and Van Dyne's rules. Nice, I thought so. And um, one could argue it followed Raymond Chandler's rules as well. <laughs> Having been in the murder mystery cult for as long as I have, mm. that if you are looking for a piece of media that will, in 20 years, be a classic of the genre, look no further. Knives out. The The main thing that I wanted to kind of uh, to mention is that, like, it's, it's impressive not just because it's, like, a fantastic movie, but because this is, like, an original property. Maybe maybe it's because um, this movie doesn't have, you know, any particular detective. You know, it's an original detective. It's an original plot, original cast. Everything about it is from the ground up built that it's able to kind of breathe and spread its yes. wings, you know? All I will say is for the love of everything ever, yeah. Do not make this a, a franchise. If oh, if there no. is a sequel, if there is a sequel, <laughs> Ryan Johnson, don't do it. Don't you dare. <laughs> Look, we have so much praise for you right now. Don't squander this good faith. This has been Death of the Reader mm-hmm. for 2019. Herds, we're going to be wrapping up the year with some reviews of all the stories we've covered. Over the coming weeks, there's going to be a bit of music on the show. There's going to be a few reviews of the books. And we'll also be debating our top three, which this film is definitely in. Yep. Spoilers. So, <laughs> so uh, keep an ear out for that in the yeah. coming weeks while uh, while we're away. Yeah, keep an ear out for review season. Stay tuned in to a CR on a 7.3 on Death of the Reader. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>